Hello and welcome to the next episode of ADHD Mums. We have another episode on relationships. I just don't think we can get enough of them. Different perspectives is always the best. I have brought in Sharon from The Functional Family. Sharon is a trained ADHD coach and she has been extremely interested and been researching ADHD for over 14 years. Does she have ADHD herself, you might ask? No, she does not. This is what makes it even more interesting. She is married to a man with severe ADHD and she also has three boys with ADHD and Tourette's ODD processing, sorry, sensory processing disorder and also learning disorders in there as well. It is a wild ride and boy life mum is something, I mean, I can't even imagine having three. I've got two and it's just, it's intense. But Sharon has made a, a way for her life to work for her and her family. She has learned, she's developed systems to be a happy, functional family. Sharon is fiercely passionate about helping people with ADHD. She works as a coach with adults and with parents of ADHD. She helps them enjoy their children and get back time for the good stuff. My goal is to enable the wonderful, exhausted parent to thrive, and she's all about making your life easier. I've been very, very excited to get Sharon on here. What she has just told me has excited me further that she said she does not have a filter on her relationship and she is going to go for it and her husband is aware. And I was like, oh my God, let's press record. How are you, Sharon? (laughs) Oh, thanks for having me on this podcast, Jane. I'm so excited to talk to you. This is going to be great. So we're going to do just a brief couple of paragraphs on ADHD. This is for the busy ADHD mum. We're not going to, everyone can Google their own stuff. I'm just going to give a brief overview before we jump into the questions. A lot of the time I hear that if you're a person with ADHD, you can feel constantly criticized, nagged, and micromanaged by your partner. No matter what you do, it can seem like nothing will please your spouse or your partner. You may feel that you don't feel respected as an adult. You might find yourself avoiding your partner or saying things just to get them off your back. You might wish that your significant other could relax a little bit and stop trying to control every aspect of your life. You might wonder what happened to that person you fell in love with. From the person who's in the relationship with someone with ADHD, you may feel lonely, ignored, and unappreciated. You may feel tired of taking care of everything on your own and being the only responsible party in the relationship. You might feel that you can't rely on your partner. You might feel that they never follow through on promises or you're forced constantly to issue reminders and demands or just do things yourself. Sometimes it feels as if your significant other just doesn't care. It's easy to see how the feelings on both sides can contribute to a destructive cycle in a relationship. The non-ADHD partner complains, nags, and becomes increasingly resentful, while the ADHD partner feels judged, misunderstood, defensive, and pulls away. In the end, nobody is happy. It doesn't need to be this way. You can build a healthy, happier partnership by learning about the role of ADHD and how it plays out in your relationship and how both of you can choose more positive and productive ways to respond to challenges and to communicate with each other. This is something I am absolutely not an expert in, which is why I've brought in Sharon. So Sharon does not have ADHD. Her husband has ADHD. So do you have any kind of starting comments before I jump into the question, Sharon? No, I love that intro and I think you've identified really clearly a lot of the struggles that many couples are facing when you have 
neurodiversity in your relationship and you've got different expectations. So I'd love to have a little bit of a chat about this and see if we can provide some practical strategies for our beautiful parents and people in relationships as well. Perfect. So I reckon our typical listener, if I was to make a guess, would be an ADHD mum with ADHD themselves, probably having ADHD children, I would say. You know, you always get the odd child that doesn't, but most or some of them, you know, I think the hereditary stats are like 75% at this point. So Mm -hmm. woohoo for everyone with three kids. So I think the typical listener is going to be an ADHD mum with ADHD kids. Now they may or may not have a neurotypical partner. I think that neurodiverse people do tend to hang out together. So some of them will be dealing with ADHD partners. However, whether you have a male or female partner, sometimes you have one that's a bit more open to a diagnosis than the other. Me, myself, my husband claims not to have ADHD. However, does he put his fingers into my tablet box on the occasion? Yes, he does. And I've said to him a few times, you might need to get your own script. So, but, you know, he hands down denies that he has it, yet we also have, you know, a large amount of cabinets and storage that sit in our lounge room that are in different stages of being put together. So definitely the traits are there, whether they're, you know, diagnosed or not, I think that would be a different question. So that's the typical listener at this point. I don't think there's going to be too many neurotypical listeners with neurodiverse partners, but I could be wrong on that. I know my best friend who does listen is in that boat. She likes to understand about ADHD because she finds it makes a bit more compassionate. So for an ADHD mum in a relationship with a neurotypical person, what do you think the unique challenges would be in their relationship? I guess for the neurodiverse person, it's being understood and not being feeling like you're being nagged. <laughs> perhaps the shame component that comes in when, you know, you've got someone perhaps correcting you or giving you instructions or appearing to be helpful. You can get over that pretty quickly. And then the challenges for the neurotypical person is the feeling of not being heard or, you know, often some of the ADHD traits of being distracted. Like I know for my husband as well, he quite often looks at his phone a lot and I feel like he's not listening. Um, So being ignored a little bit and the burnout for both parties. Both parties are very prone to burning out. So we've got to guard our energy very, very tightly when we have this in the relationship. Does it make it easier for the married person, so the neurotypical person, if the neurodiverse person has a diagnosis? Do you think the the awareness and and how it shows up, because I would imagine that would make a difference than to just, oh, well, I'm just always late. So, and then the other person just goes, can't you just be here on time? Do you think the awareness makes a difference? I think it really does. So I think that once you have a diagnosis, you can then be a team together against some of the less desirable symptoms rather than being against each other. So when there's challenges that you face, you know, things like, you know, being late and stuff, you're not looking at it as the person being late because they don't respect you or respect your time. You're looking at it as in, oh, that's ADHD. You can kind of treat it with a bit of compassion, right? So I like that to partner up with my husband to have a bit of a war on symptoms rather than a war, like, you know, there's beautiful symptoms as well, but the ones that um, cause us friction, I like to have a bit of a war on them with him rather than me being against him. So I like that the power in that. 
and really coming together and to talk about it with compassion and understanding. And I think that is the key there. Like if you are in a relationship with someone whose brain works differently for both parties, that's the case, right? To know as much as you can about ADHD, because once you know, you have compassion, like one of my, all my favorite people in the world have ADHD. They all do. Like all my, literally my favorite people in the world have ADHD. And so I'm constantly fascinated by how their brains work and what's, what makes them unique. And over time, I've stopped looking at it like a problem to be solved, like some of the more challenging behaviors, a problem to be solved. And I look at it with curiosity. I kind of go like, hey, oh, I wonder what's going on for him in that moment. And I mean, to this day, I've never met anyone more severe, and I'm an ADHD coach for a living, I've never met anyone with more severe presentation than my husband. He is on the very extreme side of the hyperactivity scale. I think it's amazing. I love how how his brain works. I love how his energy, you know, and I call him my resident hurricane with love. He is a hurricane, right? He comes in, and then he's out again. But I actually really enjoy his energy and enjoy what he brings to the relationship, the fun that he brings in. He's very spontaneous. I never know what I'm going to get. Like I can ring him and go like, uh, this example, we have a bit of a laugh about this, but I can ring him and go like, hey, I just had a car accident. He'd be like, oh, are you okay? Oh, no biggie. And he doesn't sweat it. But like the other day I threw out a kitchen sponge and he's like, you are not made of money. I can't be affording to buy all these sponges. <laughs> His reactions, I never know which way it's going to go, right? I view it with curiosity and I find it fascinating and enjoyable a lot of the time because when it counts, he's there. And it's a wild ride, but I love it. This is such a great perspective because there's not many people that would have, you know, a severely ADHD partner, have three ADHD boys, which is always next level, right? And not have ADHD themselves. This is why I was so keen to interview you. And I reached out like ages ago because I was like, Sharon is just going to be a ride. Because (laughs) I wanted to know, so, okay, so you're dating your husband. You're obviously being attracted to the energy. Like, did you know he had ADHD? Was he diagnosed later? Or like, I mean, you know, how did that all play out? I definitely knew. There's no mistake yet. <laughs> but my exposure to it had been, you know, I had been exposed to ADHD before. The part of him that I loved is his creativity and I found him exciting. And I see him like like he's it will, let's I'll take it back to previous relationships. I've always ended up to be a little bit like a mother to them. Like <laughs> I don't know how. I always ended up somehow mothering these people that I don't know, needed help. And Anthony is untamable, right? He is a he is wild, he's wild, he's untamable. I I cannot mother this guy, right? He's he's unmotherable. And that is absolutely okay with me. I enjoy that side of it. And to know that, you know, he doesn't need looking after. I don't I say I focus my energy on the boys. I focus my energy on giving them the skills, helping them. But I very much let Anthony learn his own way. I don't try and, you know, put in all my framework around him as much. I focus my energy on the kids because he doesn't need a mother. He's spectacular at doing his own thing. And he makes some pretty incredible mistakes and things like that, but he he either wins or he learns. And I love that for him. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to minimize it or make a joke, but I just would imagine with three ADHD boys, like even if you wanted to mother your husband, you just like (laughs) literally have the energy. Like 
you know, you'd be like, oh, mate, I don't have any more energy to be anyone else's mother because I'm like done. Yeah. So was he diagnosed with ADHD when you met him or did he get diagnosed later? So he got diagnosed at seven and he was pretty much one of the reasons why I became an ADHD coach and I started the functional family was he had a horrific time in school. It's very trauma. Like when you listen to his stories, he had a pretty traumatic time growing up. He was banned from the classroom. He was never invited to a birthday party because he was like the naughty kid. And Oh, so he's like typical presentation, like the what society yeah. would see of ADHD. That would be him. Yes, like pretty much fought his way through school. Yeah, and then he's in that era where they just segregated them, excluded them, and went like, you're the naughty shit kid that no one wants to hang out with. Oh, that's awful, but okay. Yeah, so then I knew that about him and he had told me all about that. And then, you know, I go on to have my own little boy and my first son is a carbon copy of my husband. Like they are exactly the same. They even stand the same, like they're exactly the same. Aren't you a lucky uh, woman? (laughs) And I was like, hold on a second. I am not having that story go down for my little boy. Like there's no way that he's going to have that experience that Anthony had. Is your husband like super triggered by your oldest son like being treated like that at school? Does he just fly off the bloody handle? I think he is. He can see a lot of himself and he can see his experiences going through for my eldest son. But they also trigger each other. So it's very interesting because they're exactly the same. (laughs) But... You know, I, I just didn't want it to, to have that same experience that Anthony did. And so that's when I started studying ADHD quite obsessively and then trained as an ADHD coach because I really wanted to make sure that I could, you know, guarantee my kids a different experience. And then once I felt like I had a house, in a, in, you know, on the right track, I wanted to help other people as well. Oh, absolutely. And it's so needed because it's such a new area. And everyone, you know, laughs, I, look, we're not going to get onto parenting because we're going to do that in another episode. So I'm going to zip zip that comment because that's a whole nother thing. So with his ADHD symptoms, there's we don't want to say good and bad, right? But that's not really the right thing to say. However, there are things that are a little bit more convenient than others. Like for example, being late all the time is pretty inconvenient. It's hard to manage time. I'm late all the time. I get it. So was it part of the attraction was like the roller coaster, the excitement, the energy, like the adventure? What was it about him that was so attractive to you? I think, you know, he has so many incredible qualities. He's quite gifted when it's something he's interested in. It's fascinating for me to to watch. He is very kind. The great thing about Anthony is he's explosive, like he has trouble with emotional regulation, but once he lets it out, he's done with it. He's back to being best friends with that person, right? And I hold on to it like a serial killer, like just stewing away, right, in the background, like never trusting that person again. And I can learn something from that. I'd rather get it out of my body and not hold it, right? So I actually have learned a lot about forgiveness, about patience, about true understanding and really accepting that whole person from this relationship. And I don't want to ever like sugarcoat it. It is not easy, right? Like if we, I, someone needs to film my house for a documentary series. That's what I, that's what I always say. Like it's not, it's, it doesn't look glamorous from the outside, but we've found a way to make it work for us. And that's what I really want to encourage people to look at. Don't worry about what other families are doing. Make it work for you. If you've got a problem that keeps coming up, like that's what I call a predictable problem. 
I wanted you to put, spend a little bit of time workshopping it together and collaborating together to make those little friction points easier for you because those are the things that are going to eat away at you and grind your gear. And we don't want contempt in relationships. We definitely don't want that seething away in the background. So we want to kind of address those. And the good thing about Anthony and I is we're both very strong personality and we will come together, you know, at sometimes butting heads, but generally we will come together to, to work out what we're going to do to fix it and have quite strong systems in place when we do come into conflict so that we can resolve it or at least make it work. <laughs> okay. So let's talk. I mean, I love, I love the term predictable problems. I'm going to use that one. That's, that's awesome, right? So let's talk predictable problems. What would be some predictable problems that you would see facing people that are neurodiverse and the neurotypical in a relationship with kids together? Like what would be kind of some of yours or some that you see? I guess like if we choose some benign ones, like the ones that actually people are facing every day, it would be like parenting kids. You know, that's a, a, a concept. People often have different uh, opinions about how hard to go, you know, or how strict to be or different backgrounds. We tend to model our own parents. And so, there's a lot of conflict in that. We have troubles with different impulsive spending. <laughs> we actually have a term for it in our house called buyer's regret because my husband likes to get on auctions and buy things and then spend the night panicking about it. And me as well, you know, like it's, we have different things of, uh, that are common in our household, even, you know, the invisible load that often as mums or the primary caregiver, we end up carrying. One of the best things that I've ever done for my family is to really push because if I don't say, hey, I need some help with this and I just go ahead and do it, everyone will let me do it. But if I say, I need some help picking up so-and-so from that thing or we need help buying this, they will absolutely do it for me. But I need to be really clear about what I want and what my expectations are as well. And the same with Anthony. Like he might say, like, I've got a really crazy week coming up. I just need some help with this. But if we don't communicate and have that conversation, then we're kind of just expecting our partner to be mind readers. And no one's a mind reader. Like he's never going to understand what's going through my brain. And there's a thousand things and I'm never going to understand what's going through his brain. So we've got to communicate and talk about it um, and make sure that we're both happy with what's happening. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. I think with ADHD sometimes as well, you often have the conversation in your head. And so you've had the conversation in your head and then you don't actually say it out loud. And then, you know, you see those memes and it's like, and then the mum says, yeah, so then you'll just pick that up like out of nowhere. And then the, the other person's like, you didn't say anything. It's like sometimes, you know, just people or ADHD mums, I find myself having all these conversations in my head. And then I'm like, say to my husband, so why didn't you do this at 12 o'clock? And he's like, you really weren't clear with me about what you wanted because, you know, you've got all these conversations in your head, whereas having a structured meeting, even informally, I think that's such a great thing to do. Do you do like visual, oh, no, we're going into parenting again. Do you, I was like, I try not to go into parenting again. Sorry, sorry. I've got a template on my website. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. I might have a look at it. Yeah, you can have my family meeting agenda. Like I've got a little agenda. It's very, people can make it their own. But the idea is that it's fun, it's quick, and we cover the things of what we need to cover. And the best bit about it is we actually started off with gratitude. So everyone has to say something that they're thankful for. Because if you, with an ADHD brain's negativity bias, um, if you look for the negative, you'll find it, right? And if you look for the positive, you'll find it. So everyone's looking um, in the week for the thing that they're going to say thank you for. 
which I think changes the tone and what we're looking for in our family, which I really love. I love that piece. And I love hearing the creative things that, you know, everyone comes up with. And working collaboratively as a family to solve some of our predictable problems, this is the time that we do that. And I really want to hear everyone's input, not because, you know, I'm always going to agree with every suggestion, but I want them to be problem solving. The ADHD brain is incredible at problem solving. Your ideas factories, right? And so I want to see my kids doing that. I want our, our kids to see us resolving conflict. I want them to know that there's no problem that we can't come back from. So... I want them to see us being able to discuss things and work it out together. Yeah, that's great. We have a saying at work, you win together and you lose together. So everyone has to buy in to the plan, you know, and then it's everybody's responsibility. And then if it doesn't work out, then everybody shares the responsibility. It's not like, hey, well, mum really stuffed that up because, you know, none of us wanted to do that and it didn't work. It's kind of like you've all you've all decided together. I think that's brilliant. Then having that sense of purpose and responsibility as a family, I think, yeah, otherwise it's like you're at the front and, you know, you're, you're possibly making good decisions or bad decisions and it's all on you. And I think as a mum, sometimes that gets a bit draining as well. You know, you're kind of like, I just don't want to make any more decisions today. You know, my my husband will always say to me things like, should I wear shorts or should I wear long pants? And I'm like, my brain is going like 50,000 miles an hour. Like, I don't know. I don't don't care. I've already worked out everyone else's clothes and mine. Like, can you not ask? Please don't ask me what you should wear. There's always that decision fatigue. Sometimes I think as moms as well, it's like, oh, man, I don't know you know, should I call this person back? I don't know. Like I just say I don't know now because I'm like, I can't participate in this discussion with these tiny details. We have a little rule. So when I talk to my husband about my problems, you know, like he does that man thing of trying to fix it, Mm. right? And I just want to be heard. So I just said to him one day, I was like, you don't have to, you don't have to say anything. Like you don't have to say when I'm talking to you about my problems, I just need you to say that's shit. (laughs) And so when I talk to him, yeah, just go, that's shit. Like that's all he has to say. And so he says that and then when he talks to me about mine, I about his problems, I try and lead with empathy and then ask a question. So we have like our little set things of what we do and we've actually talked about what our preference is so that we know, yeah. I think that's brilliant. I have done that with my husband and that has made a real difference. And a lot of people might think that it's not very validating when you told them what to say. No, it actually still is. So when I used to tell my husband a really complex problem and I'd be really emotional, like PMS, right? PMS, it's like all all overwhelming. None of it makes any sense. You're super emotional and none of it can be solved. That's for me, PMS. And I'm always crying at some point during the PMS, right? Anyway, and it doesn't make any sense to my husband because the problems have always been there and there's nothing new. And so he would always just change the subject because he would be uncomfortable and not Mm. know what to do. So he would just change the subject. I wonder what the weather will be like tomorrow. And I was like, oh, my God, that is the worst thing to say. So I've taught him to say, what can I do to help? Do you need me to do anything? What would you like me to do? And I'm like, just offer to help me because often the core of it seems to be overwhelm and all of the things that I have to do. And so now just telling him to say, how can I help you? What would you like me to do? I am immediately feel supported. And it doesn't matter that I've told him to say that. In the moment, he's saying exactly what I want him to say and he's not changing the subject, which is the most, the worst thing to do, I think, at that point. So I think there's nothing wrong with feeding them lines that that they should say. I think that's fine. 
And if you've both done it and you've both got your own little preferences and you're both doing it, it actually is nice. I'm actually really impressed that they remember to say what you've said you wanted. Like that's actually a sign of love that they value you and, you know, that they're trying. Yeah, well, well my hubby's probably in panic because he's scared of tears <laughs> and as soon as he sees tears, he's probably like, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? Terrified. <laughs> so terrified. Stop crying. It's probably his reaction. So, okay, so let's talk strategies for just a moment. So you talk a lot in your podcast about having chaos. Like obviously you've gone through a baptism of fire at some point. You've gone through, this isn't working. Oh, my God, I've, I'm just speculating. I've hit rock bottom. I must make changes. How did you go with your husband? Was he on board with a lot of this stuff or was he like, did he struggle against it? What happened there? I guess that it all sort of came about because I was, you know, raising three kids and, you know, with, with a husband that is a great dad but, a, you know, a bit chaotic in his own right and I burnt myself out. I got diagnosed with an autoimmune condition, cirrhotic arthritis. I was in incredible pain, nerve pain all over my And how old were your kids, do you mind me asking? This was after Harvey was born, so he's eight now, so it's about eight years ago. This is like, you know, I was researching ADHD for long before this because I had to work out a way to, you know, I was very much wanting to work with the ADHD brain, not against it. Uh, But it really came to a head when I fell to pieces because before I could prop them up. I could prop everyone up by being a time ninja and super organized and, and everything. And then when I fell... I was like, oh, hold on a second. I, this is not good. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> so I need, I need to be able to make our life work for us a bit more based on when, you know, what my health was doing as well. And so that's when I really got to work about creating that systems and structure and everything like that around what works with the ADHD brain. And that's what I'm all about. I'm a, I like anything that's going to make life easier. And it's all just experiments. I ran so many experiments on my poor family members. So I do things like I would mess up the room and get them to walk in and I'd be documenting what their body language was like. And then I'd have the room completely minimalist and then document what their body language was like. My poor family. But I was just gathering information to see what would work and very much trialing every system. Like I was reading all these books and trialing every system and, and everything that they asked us to do in those books, I would be trialing and working out what would what was working and what wasn't. And I learned very quickly not to make any grand announcements about what you're going to do. So I like, you know, when you read a book and you're really excited about a strategy and you want to go in and go, from now on, we are all going to be blah, 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 blah. I learned that that makes my family very uncomfortable, these grand announcements. So you're better off, or at least my, for my family it is, you're better off just starting to do the thing quietly in the background, building it up till you're confident with it, with the strategy, rather than making that big announcement. And I, I learned that my husband is not going to read books about ADHD. He's not going to, he doesn't want to, he's not interested, right? He, his life works for him. He's fine with it. He's okay. But he's not going to be a, a person who's going to come along the ride with me about learning every single fact there was about ADHD. So what I started, stopped doing, I stopped trying to maneuver him into a position where he would do that with me. I just started making changes And he started picking up the changes that I was making by copying me. So we actually changed 
quite considerably as a family, but not with me trying to make him. <laughs> he, he just did it because that's the, the direction the whole family was going in. And it doesn't always look beautiful from the outside, but generally it works these days. Like we have our, you know, like systems in place that work for us. I learned that it's quite important to learn about how people process information. Like, you know, the processing modalities, different people process things in different ways. You know, we have conceptual, auditory, aesthetic, visual, and and Anthony is very much a mover to process information. He needs to move. So if I tell him something, I can't expect him to just take it in straight away. He needs to go and move and walk around and do some stuff and then he'll come back to me with the answer and that's perfectly okay. I want to give him that, whereas I process things verbally, in case you can't tell. Um, so I need to talk it out. So we now that we know that about each other, it's okay. Like There's so much not, um, power in that knowledge. And then obviously having a tap-in, tap-out system, me having a chronic condition, him having, you know, ADHD and all the stuff that he's got going on, if we're not coping in any situation, we tap out. Like we give the other person permission to take over for a little bit and prioritizing that time alone as well. We really do need that restorative time apart, um, alone time because I'm quite introverted and he um, needs that time to, to restore and process things. And that's that's perfectly okay. But now that we know that it's just so much easier than trying to force someone else into processing information the way that you process it. It's worked really well. Yeah, so it's kind of that whole thought pattern around be the change you want to see in the world, you know, that you're you're just, you're not necessarily telling everybody what you're doing, which is hard for an ADHD brain, right? But maybe you tell your friend, you don't tell the people in your family yeah. and then you can spout it somewhere else about what, what you've decided that you'll now do, which is you know, possibly like gluten-free or something. That always seems to be a fad. You know, and then you, yeah, you you model it instead of, yeah, I suppose ramming it down someone's throat, especially if you've done that often. You know, sometimes the ADHD brain, you know, it's like the next big thing. You know, we're going to use visual aids. We're going to use, you know, this new system, this new app on our phones. And it's like, it gets a bit old when it's, every week, a new system. So yeah, I think trialing it small rather than kind of just making a big announcement, that that's a great point because that kind of would be off-putting for sure. So where would be some areas that you've seen the biggest change with you and your husband, do you think? Like in terms of where were you, like when you were obviously really burnt out, so I'd imagine things weren't going great, to where you are now and, you know, what would be some of the things that you've done if you were to just take one area or two? I mean, we've been together for like 16 years. <laughs> I think over time, I think we've learned to honour each other's experience a little bit more. Like we've both got to look at it from each other's perspectives and just honour that that we are our own unique pers- people with hopes and dreams and experiences ourselves and to really focus on what brings us back together. So for us, it's laughter that brings us back together. He's really funny. We have a good time together and we've got to find those opportunities to actually laugh together. I'm going to give you an example that's probably going to be horrifying to a lot of people. He, I love it already. <laughs> I'm like down for it, hey. <laughs> oh, there's so many. I've got so many uh, funny stories about my relationship that like once I came back from Queensland and Anthony was like, oh, by the way, you don't have a car. I sold it. I met a guy on a job site and I've sold your car. 
And I was like, but I've got two kids, oh like two kids in car seats. What car do I have? He's like, oh, you'll be right. You don't need a car. And I said, like, no, I absolutely need a car. And he's like, I've sold it. It's gone. It's gone. Oh my God. And I was like, oh my goodness. I was like, but I had clothes in there. And he was like, oh no, I chucked it out. That, that's all on the front balcony. It's all right. It's all right. So, oh my God. <laughs> Oh my God, what did you do? I think I would have lost it. I would have been like, are you serious? <laughs> I had to hire a car um, for a while. But, you know, just those kinds of things. Like he, he's like, I've got a good price. I've sold the car. Like we're going to get another one. But like didn't realize like that I had two babies at that point and needed, needed a car, very much needed a car. Oh, my God. I feel like you need to say to him, don't sell anything that's mine whilst I'm away. Like do you need to say that? Because I'm feeling like, oh, my God. That is impulsive beyond impulsive. That's impulsive. Well, here's, here's another uh, funny little story that he very much wouldn't mind me sharing. When I was quite unwell, I'd cooked dinner and he was serving it up. I said, oh, look, I've just got to go and sit down for a minute. You can, can you just serve this thing up? But he's put the pot straight onto our stone bench top and burnt a big brown circle right on on the stone bench top right which I love my kitchen and he knew it was going to be bad like he knew I was not she's compassionate up until I burnt her stone top and now she's not compassionate she hates me so this is one of the things that I love about him he's decided that it's bad and he's going to commit to the damage because there's just nothing that you can do to come back from that at that point so he gets a permanent marker and changes the circle into a big smiley face. So now <laughs> I've looked out and there's a big burn mark with permanent marker smiley face on there. That would grate me further. <laughs> the fact that he did the smiley face, like, oh, God, at least write sorry on it. <laughs> so what can you do what can you do but laugh at that like I had to I started off as a hysterical laugh like it was a, like I don't know if I'm gonna die or laugh here but then it went into a full-scale laugh because I was so impressed that he really that was the thought process that went behind it and so I think <laughs> that's a, a long way of getting through that story but I think when you know what you know about ADHD. I try and make all my interactions about compassion, curiosity, and understanding, right? And when you look at it through curiosity and you think, I wonder how he got to that. That's kind of like it's, it, can, it comes from such a nicer place than a place of judgment and shame and, you know, all the other things that, pe- that people with ADHD already feel way too often. I'm just not up for making that a place in my home. So even though, you know, we do like to make fun of each other and I'm sure if you ever had him on this podcast, he would just, you know, tell all the, the stories about me and I'm lucky that I'm in the podcast, you know, position so I can say the funny stuff about him with his permission. But, you know, we do have a good time making fun of each other's quirks and in a very nice way, just celebrating it together rather than tearing each other, te- tearing shreds off each other about it. And believe me, I've got plenty. I'm a germaphobe. I've got all sorts of weirdness going on, right? And so he very much can play on that as well, which I think brings us back to that point that we celebrate with laughter. If we, everything can be for us, we know what makes us tick. It's laughter. And so if we can bring it back to that and find a way to laugh at the truly intense things that our family puts out, we can come back together. I mean, yesterday I was in the shower and my son just came in 
dressed as Darth Vader or didn't say anything, just floated in like a ghost. That's creepy. Did a weird like lightsaber thing and then just floated out like a ghost. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, I can't wait to tell Anthony that. That was so so intense to have in the shower. I didn't even know where he got that costume from. So, like, you know, it's, it's just quite funny. So we have to come together through laughter. Yeah, I, I, that is so funny. That reminds me of my four-year-old. We're having a lot of trouble toilet training him and it's very much ADHD. Like he will say things like, and he's nearly four and a half, right? So he's, he's pretty clever in some ways. So he's very verbal. Like he'll say, I didn't have time. I didn't want to miss out. I was playing. I didn't want to go, you know, and he'll get very constipated. It's this whole thing. But we've created purpose in his pooing. And this story is weird, right? But you'll get this. So he has a thing where he will only do a poo in the ensuite bathroom when my husband's in the shower. The purpose is to <laughs> piss my husband off and stink him out. And he will do this giant adult poo and leave it in there with the purpose of stinking my husband out. And we always make this huge thing, and it is disgusting. It's a disgusting thing to do, right? And it's not hard to put on the drama. Oh, my God, it stinks. And he loves it. And everyone has to look at it and see how big it is and how gross it is. My husband has to be like, oh, my God, get the fan on. Oh, I've got to get out of here. And look, it's not far from the truth, right? But you've kind of got to look at the ADHD brain and make it work for you in some way. And I think the ADHD brain is very attracted to humor. Mm. And the funniness and the laughter and the roller coaster. So, you know, I think you're right. If you can make it hilarious and see the goodness in it, there's enough judgment out there. And I think that's just such a lovely way to look at it. Yeah, I really commend you for that. That is hilarious about the Darth Vader. But yeah, I just couldn't believe my toddler only will poo with the purpose of stinking someone out. Like he was not interested otherwise. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that, you know, it, one of the, the, things that's incredible is how funny usually people with ADHD are pretty funny right like I spend my whole days laughing with my clients about um, bits and pieces so anytime that you can use humor as your you know to lighten up serious situations things like toilet training like I use it one of the other things that I wanted to say that is quite great for couples to have a chat about is about what their deal breakers are because I loved this conversation. Like early on, we used to fight a fair bit. And, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to say that we don't fight at all at the moment. But to discuss each other what your deal breakers are. So Anthony is in the trucking industry. They swear a lot in the trucking industry, right? I don't mind him swearing, but I never want to be sworn at, right? Fair, so, fair. Yeah, so we had to have this big discussion that that's a deal breaker for me. And same, like, you know, for him, he doesn't want to be nagged about stuff, you know. So what are we, we develop systems around what our deal breakers are. So I have a system in my phone where everything that needs to be fixed around the house, I write in this shared list and we write it, we write it down, the shared list, and then if it doesn't get done within a certain time frame, then I'm allowed to, well, you know, we've decided to employ a handyman to come and do those things. So we've got a timeline on those on those tasks, um, but it's not me going to him going, hey, you need to do this, you need to do this now, why aren't you doing this? Like it's just on the list that's shared uh, and if he does it, he does it. If he doesn't, that's fine. I know it's going to get done at some point because we've decided that and we've decided that that 
is an important point for our family. So just having a t- chat, I know that's not necessarily a deal breaker, that last one. Oh, no, well, that's a deal breaker for me, to be honest. <laughs> I think there's a lot of women on this podcast who'd be like, I just want the picture put on the fucking wall. <laughs> Here's a question for you. Yep. I, I've, I've done that strategy, but only halfway. So we had a list on the phone because uh, my husband doesn't like to be nagged and he feels like, you know, it. I don't even know what he feels like. It's like patronizing or whatever to him. I feel like he doesn't write down anything that I say, so I just say it and he forgets instantly and it never gets done. And then if I write it on my list, it stresses me out. So that's another thing I've got to do and I just then I nag him. So we had a, we've got like a shopping list on the fridge and then I bought a second one and then the shopping list has become his jobs around the house. That list, right, he looks at it but doesn't really do anything. So now it's full, Right. And I said to him this morning, hey, by Monday, those shelves have to be put together because we've got someone coming in to do this. It has to be done on Monday. And our son's birthday is on Monday. So we have to have presents for him on Monday. My husband loves to buy birthday presents for the boys. He's always in charge of it. And I hate it. So those are his two jobs that have to be done by Monday. But I'm looking at the rest of the list thinking, my hubby has the view that they can be done any time, which means he doesn't do them. If I put a timeline on them, he's going to be like, where's the fire? Why do I have to have that generator sold? In my mind, I want the generator sold because I want the $800, right? In his mind, he's just going to leave it there for the next three years until it's worth nothing and I may as well just put it out on the yard for charity. So how do you get the timeline? And I'm sorry, this is a personal question, so I'm like probably – but I, I, I don't know how you get the timeline and get them to buy into it because my hubby would just be like, oh, I'm going to do that whenever. I guess that's the, that's the discussion. That's, that's part of this process that you guys are putting in. That's a predictable problem, like something that's coming up again and again. This is something that we have to communicate about. So like I say, like what is an acceptable, when you put the thing on the list, what's an acceptable time frame for you? You know, like you say to them, like, this is something that we need doing. What's come up together? What an acceptable time frame is. I mean, now it's my experience that people with ADHD usually don't love being told what to do, right? They don't love it. So, and I don't want to be the naggy wife either. I don't like it. I've got my own stuff going on, right? I don't want to be micromanaging someone else. So the system that we have of having the handyman option come in is actually designed to make our marriage more enjoyable you know it's to take the pressure off both of us but he doesn't like paying for that stuff so I give him the option first so we've got to decide like how long is an acceptable time frame for this to be done is it is it two months is it two weeks I don't know like we decide on that together you know and then have a backup plan should that not happen and he can't really be peeved about me paying for a handyman if he's like gone past the time frame that we agreed, you know? Yeah, that, that's a good point. I actually got a handyman in recently. We had a big family event here and I just wanted some pressure done on the driveway because it was like moldy, you know, Queensland. And there was a few things that was like, this house could easily look a lot nicer um, if we just had a few simple things. And it was like the week before and I was like, I'm done. I'm just going to get the handyman. It was actually hilarious because my hubby was home and he watched the handyman do the task that he should have been doing, which I thought was the best ever. But yeah, maybe that's the part I'm missing is to say to him, look, I'm just going to get someone in if it doesn't get done because then I feel like I'm managing the time and I'm like, oh my God, I hate leaving stuff to the last minute. 
I would have preferred to call the handyman two months before, get it done, then to wait until it's now critical. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm like, I really need that stuff put together. Like when are you going to do that? And then you have to like manage this small time frame because I think with ADHD people, they often just leave it to the last second. I don't because I have anxiety around doing that. So the anxiety propels me forward. My husband has no anxiety. He doesn't give a shit. So he just does it whenever, which is not very often. But then you've got to manage the time frame where I'm like, okay, so Monday morning when our son wakes up and he expects a present, <laughs> it's Thursday. <laughs> when were you planning on doing it, you know? And then I don't want to have to manage his time. It's, I think it's where a lot of partners fall into it. Like, I mean, you've got to make the decision of, you know, like communicating and then once you have communicated, you know, like what your desire is for that task, like whether to micromanage it or let it fall, like or let it go, you know, a lot of the time it is about, you know, deciding which way you're going to go with that. And once you've communicated and decided together, it's really the other partner has to make their own decisions about it sometimes, you know, like uh, it can be quite tricky, especially when there's kids involved and you don't want to see your son, you know, not wake up to no presents. But I'm I'm pretty sure that your husband will pull it together for some, you know, he'll pull it together oh, he at the would. last minute, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he will. He'll, he'll run out at a really annoying time on Sunday afternoon when I need him <laughs> and the kids are going psycho and he'll go, oh, I'm going to go get those presents from Toy World. And I'll think to myself, oh, my God, I would kill to go to Toy World at this point. I mean, it will totally be at 4.30 when the shop shuts at 5. That's when he will go. And look, I have to be okay with that because he will get it done. But I think the maybe the lack of communicating the time frame is is the issue. But it does irritate me, and I'm sure it would irritate a lot of mums on this podcast when you're like, "I just want the one thing done. Like, I want the bike pipe, what bike tires pumped up on the bikes." It's like that's an easy task. Come on, come on. Yeah, yeah. It can be tricky managing these things, and I think like w- one thing that I do want to say is that we both like we all have unique strengths that we bring to a relationship and we can play to those strengths a little bit like I know that I'm quite ruthless with time and organization and things and I know Anthony's much better at like the bringing in the fun where I'm quite serious you know and doing outside stuff and dirt bike riding and engaging the kids that way So we try and lean heavily and celebrate each other's strengths rather than focusing on the stuff that we are not good at because there's plenty that I'm not good at and there's plenty that he's not good at and support each other through the stuff that we're not good at. And there's prepping conversations there that I want to link into your story. So rather than nagging and going through like repeating the same thing with frustration, I, I do enjoy a prepping conversation with my kids and my husband. So it's like, what are you going to do? Like, so it's curiosity conversation. So like, hey, it's my son's birthday coming up on Monday. What are you going to do if it's like 4.30 and you haven't got anything yet? Like just getting them to picture what it's going to be like, you know, if the shop's going to shut. It's not actually asking them to do the task again. It's just picturing what it's going to be like if he leaves it to the last minute right? So it's a prepping conversation, just getting him to switch to thinking about that rather than not thinking about it at all and leaving it to the last minute rather than asking, just repetitively asking him with frustration to do the same task. How does that feel? Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I think um, sometimes with ADHD women, I feel like this is just opinion, um, not fact. 
I feel like we can be a little conflict adverse because I have a theory that if you have ADHD, you often haven't had the friendship practice necessarily going up through primary teenage years, especially rollercoastering through your 20s, which a lot of us have done. So, you know, you move around a lot, you change jobs a lot. I was never in a long-term relationship. So there's some conflict conflict resolution skills that I haven't necessarily learned or I think I've been slow on. So when you're kind of discovering that, but you're already married with kids, that can be really difficult to navigate because some of those skills I think we should have learned earlier. And so we lack tact or I get quite avoidant where I'm like, I'll just write it on the list and not say anything and just hope that he might surprise me. Or I'll just walk around and stop passively aggressively hoping that he might see that I'm frustrated because he still hasn't fixed the blind in my daughter's room and it's been six months. So I think probably there's a reluctance to give the time and to really own up to what I'm expecting because I sometimes wonder if you don't want to be disappointed, you know, because it's that feeling of like, what if he doesn't then do it? You know, because at the moment I'm playing this game that if I communicated properly, he would probably do it. But what if he didn't? And that's where I wonder where myself and ADHD mums is we don't properly communicate for fear that we'll be let down. And then there's that conflict resolution that I think some of us are a little bit lacking. And that could happen on the the partner side as well, if you're neurotypical and you've got a partner. So I, I think you've got a great strategy there. And I think I'm kind of getting like a bit like nervous. I'm like, oh, I have to put some timeframes down. How will I possibly communicate some urgency that we need to fix the shed? Because he's going to be like, that's been the same shed that's been there for four years. I don't know what the urgency is. But for me, I like look at that shed every day and I'm like, this is like we, we, we have the money to fix this shed. I don't know why we don't have proper shelving and a proper system in here. It's probably got snakes in it. It's a, it's a good conversation to have. I mean, you know, like is there urgency behind fixing the shed? You know, is there, you know, is it, is it important to you? You know, like that's the conversation to have. Like this is important to me. I see it every day. We can't expect him to have the same importance, like rate at the same importance because we have decided that it's important, right? We want to communicate why it's important to us to bump it up in his level a little bit. And also to have that backup plan. Like if he doesn't want to do it, that's absolutely okay. Like he's a grown adult, like it's okay, but we'll pay someone to do it. Like we'll work a bit harder to get the money to pay to something, you know, like, you know, or something to come up with a plan B as well to make it because it's at the end of the day, it's like it's your life and your family. We want to make it work uniquely for you guys, you know, like it has to, we have to be able to make it a little bit easier for, for however that looks like for each individual family. And I'm all for psychological strategies and things like that, but I, I think the power is in those little everyday points of friction. If you can have like strategies and make those a little bit easier because they're the stuff that sucks your energy, it sucks your life force, and we don't have the energy to spare. We're already busy, you know, we've got stuff going on. So it's creating those little systems around those little points of friction that I really love. Because, you know, if you guys have got a set thing in place about what happens when those things sorts of come up, when those come up in your relationship, that's, that's where the power is. Yeah, and I think you made a good point too about often ADHD brains are very good in some areas and not in others. So perhaps there's an expectation that he's, that maybe that's an area he's just terrible at. I don't know. Maybe I'm expecting him and as a husband that he'll be good at that and that he'll do that for me because, you know, my dad was a tradie. He's very gung-ho. So I'm like kind of going, why aren't you 
fixing everything around the house at a drop of a hat, which is what my dad did. But, you know, if that's an area that he's terrible at, perhaps outsourcing is the way because he's never been good at it and he's great at some things, very energized, very efficient in some areas, as am I. But, you know, if you wait for me to sweep the floors and vacuum and mop, geez, you'll be waiting a long time. So, you know, we have to outsource that one because I, I just it just doesn't happen and it's not my area. So, yeah, I think maybe, I think you've made a great point. I'm going to have to think about that and think about the best way to outsource. Thank you. That was actually very helpful. <laughs> my pleasure. My pleasure. I mean, at the end of the day, we want to come together and enjoy our time together. You know, life has so many spiky edges for our beautiful families that have, you know, can, you know, whether it's a health condition or neurodiversity or anything, like the world is spiky, right? So our homes and our places, like we go through enough challenges. We have to work out a way to make life enjoyable with each other and smooth out some of that intensity that we all face every day. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, that has been super interesting and I'm going to actually, it's really spun me out. I'm going to have to think about that for a while afterwards. Thank you so much. That's really made a lot of sense. Do you have anything further to add that we haven't covered? I should always ask that question. I just wanted to, often in coaching, something comes up where people get a bit stuck in the decision-making bit, like, oh, what should, what should I do here? What should I do there? And I really wanted to say that, if you're looking at, you know, because often people with ADHD have trouble with triaging and prioritizing tasks and things like that, because our lives are quite full on, <laughs> to always try as much as you can, if you ever get stuck making the decision or getting paralyzed by the choice or how much there is to do, to take whatever, to make the decision based on what's going to make it easier for your future self. Because I think we have, and myself included, this is not just an ADHD thing, we have this tendency to assume that our future self has all this time or all this energy that somehow magically is going to appear. But the truth is our future self is probably going to have less, less time, less energy, you know. So I'm always loving anything that's going to skew it in the favor of my future self, making decisions that's going to make it easier or more enjoyable or less stressful Take those decisions where you can. And if someone offers to help you, say yes. Say yes. Yes to it all. We don't have to be a martyr through this life, right? We, we've got to make it work for us. And what we're going through is challenging enough. So don't wait for yourself to be diagnosed with some sort of horrible condition or autoimmune condition <laughs> to decide that you're going to um, change like I did. Try to enjoy it now and make it easier for your future self as well. Yeah, it's funny how many times we all say, oh, it's really busy at the moment, but it's just going to calm down soon. So, you know, you delay or wait, as you were referring to, or you imagine you have more time to do that later, you know, procrastination at its core. And often, you know, you're right that I've never had that happen to me ever, <laughs> where I've gone, oh, I'm just waiting for it to quiet down. And then it does. This literally never happened. So I think that's a great point, actually. I really appreciate your time, Sharon. You've been absolute wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much. And I, I wanted to raise one other thing. Yeah, um, This is it. like ADHD, it comes out in ADHD coaching all the time. But there's this perception around that you can just try harder out of ADHD and I'm sure you felt this. It really blows my mind. It just comes up all the time. That you can just try harder or the perception that they're not getting something because they haven't tried hard enough. Uh, and one of the best bits about my job is helping people 
um, try differently. We don't need to try harder. We're already trying hard enough. Life is hard. Um, we want to try differently. So when we're looking at, you know, some of those predictable problems that we spoke about or those points of friction and trying to make them easy for us, I really want to people to think about how they can try differently, how they can try differently for their family, how they can try differently for their relationship uh, and make it work for them. It doesn't have to be what works for my family. It's what works for their family. We want to try differently what works uniquely for that, for that person. Yeah, I think it's that definition, isn't it? The definition of, of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again with the same result. So, yeah, I think different. Yeah, absolutely. If it's not working but you just keep doing it, that's the key to uh, relationships not working really, isn't it? If you both just keep doing the same thing over and over again, that's a great point. If anyone's been listening to this podcast and they really want to work with you, Sharon, I know that you run a membership. How does that work? So I've got I've quite a few things. So I do one-on-one ADHD coaching. I do parent mentoring as well. I have a six-week program. I also have a membership and a podcast, <laughs> all wow. of the things. Busy. Um, but if they want to find... <laughs> If they want to find me, just have a look at the Functional Family and all um, our resources. We've got a whole wealth of free resources there, including that um, family meeting agenda um, that you can download for free. It's all on the website. Go and have a go and have a look. And if you need help, reach out. I'm here to support you. Beautiful. We'll put her. Uh, sorry, Sharon, not her. We'll put Sharon's website in the episode notes. And we are going to regroup. Thank you for keeping to topic, Sharon. I didn't do it so well. You actually went back to relationships, which I appreciate. So we're going to get Sharon back in to talk parenting, which is going to be awesome. I'm pretty excited, especially for the boy mums out there. Oh, no, not that I know that you can't do girls as well, but someone with three ADHD boys, I do want to hear more from. So we'll finish up for now, but thank you so much for your time, Sharon. Thank you so much for having me on, Jane. I've loved our chat today.